0: Well, welcome. I'm Pastor Allen. If I haven't greeted you earlier, uh, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we're in a series. That means we talk about a certain topic for more than one week at a time, and we're about four weeks in now. And the series is, What Makes You Happy? And today is everybody's favorite topic, money, right? And we're going to talk about happy money. So if you've not been here for the f- previous three weeks, you get a pass. Otherwise, we're going to give you a little quiz here at the beginning, right? Everybody Ready? I'm going to ask you two questions, or one question with two different answers, right? So here we go. First question. What makes you happy? No thing. No thing, right. No thing. Happiness is more about people than things, more about relationships than than stuff we have. Relationships are good. You're probably pretty happy. If relationships aren't good, you're not going to be happy. So... Advertisers try and convince us it's things that make us happy, and there's a certain happiness to it. We've talked about that, but uh, real happiness comes from no thing. That was the first week. Second week, we talked about a second answer. What makes you happy? Sewing. Sewing, not (laughs) S-E-W. For some of you, it makes you happy, I guess. Um, But not my wife. She doesn't sew, but some of you. In fact, if you sew, let me know. Sometimes I need need help getting stuff sewed. but no, sewing, which means you have to do something now to be happy later. You can't just be happy. You can't turn it on just like that. Um, so that's good news and it's bad news. <clears throat> but if you want to be happy, you have to sew for it. You have to do something. It's a process. You have to do something now to receive that letter. You've got to sew for it. Now that's part of the problem, right? Because we want to be happy When? Now, okay? And uh, uh, you just can't say you're going to be happy or just be happy uh, because you want to be. So that's part of the problem. It, there is a time delay. Another problem is direction. Um, you have to be sowing in the right direction now to be happy later. And we don't always sow in the right direction. In fact, we all can look back in periods of our lives and say, you know, I wasn't sewing for ha- happiness, and so I wasn't happy later. Well, maybe some of the young folks can't, but uh, most of us can. Directions were important. We were going to a funeral on Friday, a uh, sister of a lady of our church, and, and uh, Barbara, and um, it was in Thermont. So we did a little app thing, and it said go on this road. And anyway, it said to travel like 9. Point some miles on this road. We well, travel about half that distance, and we wind up in Wolfsville, and the road ends. Uh, there's other roads, but there's no, that road ends, Pleasant, pleasant whatever road it is. And there's no cell service in Wolfsville. If you live in Wolfsville, sorry, but <laughs> no cell service. And so we couldn't check. So we had to go old school. We had to stop and ask somebody, how do I get the thermont from Wolfsville? And they told us which road, which road it was. So we got on a different road, we wouldn't have gotten to, to, to Thermot to the funeral. Same thing with happiness. You have to be on the right path, right? Direction now to be happy in the future. <clears throat> when we're not, what we usually do is blame, right? Blame our spouse, blame our kids, blame our parents, blame our uh, job, blame our boss, blame someone of our friends, some other relative, uh, just blame the universe, uh, blame God, uh, But we have to sow now for happiness later. And you may be happy now and be sowing for unhappiness later. So that's the other side. Now the good news is you can sow for your happiness. Probably a few months ago if you wanted tomatoes or corn or whatever, you planted those seeds and you were happy when you harvested that. So the good news is you can put into operation a plan now, a sowing now for happiness later. Now, often we think happiness has to do with circumstances. You know, if I had their life, I would be happy. If I had their spouse, I'd be happy. If I had their kid, I'd be happy. But it's not about circumstance. We all know people with worse circumstances than us that seem to be happier than us. We also know people which seem to have great circumstances that just aren't happy. So it's not about circumstances. Now, one of the biggest Issues that affect your happiness and mine is our topic for today, and that's money. Now, what we do with money often is we use it for something and we think, I know this would make me happy. We buy this thing and we go this place. I thought I knew that this would make me happy, but it didn't. So what does that have to teach you and I? What we think isn't always true, right? And that's why it's so important to have wise counsel. Have other people you can talk to and ask. Hey, I think this would make me happy if I spent this money on this. And they would say, no, that, that won't make you happy. Or, yes, maybe that would. So, I thought I knew. And we all can look at some circumstances that we bought something or spend money for something that we thought would make us happy. And it didn't. <clears throat> And you've all, or most of you probably have heard some preacher type like myself, stand up in front of a group of people and say, money won't make you happy. And you all say, yeah, I know, I know. But I sure would like to give it a try, right? (laughs) Give me a million bucks, I'll see if I can be happy. Uh, But actually, in reality, there is a connection between money and happiness. The problem is, we think of it as the wrong connection. We think the connection between money and happiness is this word right here. More, right? If I had more money, I would be happier. Of course, the reverse is also true. If I had less money, I'd be less happy. So it's got to be true that if I had more money, I would be happier. So let me ask you kind of a series of questions here. They're pretty easy. All right, won't tax your brain too much. Here's the first one. How much more money would it take to make you happy? Or more happy? Now, If money can make you happy, this is a good question to figure out the answer, right? How much? It's going to take $10,000, $100,000, $1 million, $10 million. How much more would it take to make you more happy? Another way to phrase the question is this way, because we talked about, What undermines your peace undermines your happiness. And we said happy people are at peace. So how much more money would it take to give you peace? Again, what's the figure? What's the dollar? How much? If I had that, I would be at peace. Consequently, I would be happy. I'm gonna answer these questions for everybody here. I know the answer. And here it is. More than I currently have, right? That's the answer. And as it was an answer 10 years ago, it'll be an answer 10 years from now. That's the answer. More than I currently have. But that's not true either, is it? It's not about more. Because again, we know people with more money, more stuff than us, and they're just not happy, are they? And we know people with less than us, and we're happy. In fact, especially if you're as old as I am, We can think back when we were a child, and I was a child, we were pretty poor, but I was happy. I guess I didn't know any better. You know, I have a stick, I play with a stick as a gun. I was perfectly happy, I was, we're going to get to this word later, content with that. I have more than I could ever imagine now, and my kids, my grandkids, have more than I could ever imagine. I don't know if they're any happier than I am, or how I was, or you were. So it's not about more. Now, one of my frustrations about any time I talk, especially when I talk about money, is most of you, and I try to make logical cases, and I use the Bible, or what Jesus said today, and so most of you intellectually will agree, but not do anything about it. And I love most of you, because I know you, some of you I don't know, I care about you, and I want you to be happy. So my prayer is, not that you'll just hear this, but you'll also implement this. And if you're a parent or a grandparent, it's even more important than that because you are modeling the connection between money and happiness for your kids and for your grandkids. And I'm a grandparent, I know. I want my kids and grandkids to be happy. And a big ingredient, again, is money. So the connection between money and happiness is not more. It's a different M word. And here's the the word that makes the difference. It is the word manage. So it's not about how much money you and I have or make. It's not about getting more of it. It's about managing what I have. Because for some of us, we can't get any more. So does that mean we can't be happy? No. In fact, you know, I'm getting close to retirement age one of these days. And my income will go down, right? You know, I don't think you're all going to keep paying me when I stop working, are you? <laughs> so my income is going to go down. And so does that mean I can't be happy? So it's not about more. It's about managing what you have. So money contributes to your happiness if you manage it well. And again, anything that undermines your peace, undermines your happiness. If you mismanage your money, you're not going to be at peace. So you will not be happy. Jesus was smarter than all of us put together. And so that's why it's important for us to read what Jesus said. And and obviously do what he says or listen to what he says. So we're going to look at something Jesus said. And it boils down to the fact that, back up please. (laughs) Not there yet. That if you don't manage your money, your money will manage you. If you don't manage it to bring you happiness, your mismanagement of it will bring you unhappiness. And the issue is control. When you mismanage your money, you're out, it's out of control. Or you're out of control. When you manage your money, it's in control. And any time we're out of control, we're not happy. We're not at peace, right? When your kids are out of control, parents, you're not at peace. One of the frustrations we have with the world is the world is... Out of control, isn't it? Society, etc. Government. So that's part of our frustration when there isn't control. So we're going to look at something Jesus said. He told this story about, it's called a shrewd manager. And you can read this story. It's in Luke chapter nine, 16. Uh, we're going to pick up after the story where Jesus makes some conclusions or or teaches us lessons from the story. So here, here we get in Luke chapter 16, verse 9. Luke uh, didn't hang out with Jesus, but he did a lot of investigation before he, he wrote what he wrote. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others. Now, we usually think about money and worldly resources and happiness. We think about us. It's about us and how I use it. Well, Jesus said, oh, it's bigger than that. It's more, more important than that is not to just use it for yourself, but to benefit others. And when you do, you make friends. We're going to talk about this in a minute, but... When you're generous to other people, makes them happy. You befriend them. But here's why it's so important. And then when your possessions are gone, and that may happen to you, or may have happened to you, they will welcome you to eternal, to an eternal home. Of course, eventually, if you're a Jesus follower, and if you're not, we're, we're delighted that you're here because these lessons work even if you're not a Jesus follower. That's a great thing about uh, what Jesus taught. So if you make friends when you have worldly possessions, and when you don't have them, logically, normally, those people will befriend you. Then he goes on. He uses a couple of words here: principles, life principles that we apply to finances. If you're faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. And this is if you're a teacher, a teacher or a parent, you do this. You trust your students or you trust your kids with a certain amount of time, money, privileges, whatever. If you give them a little and they do a good job with it, you give them a little bit more, right? A little more freedom, a little more time, a little more money. If they don't, and that's what he goes on to say, but if you are dishonest in little things, you don't use them well, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. I say this sometimes and I feel this about myself. I have as much money as God can trust me with. So if I don't have more, it's because he can't trust me w- with more. Now here's the principle. The more you, trustworthy you are, the more that you get trusted with. And he goes on the same, with the, on the same uh, train of thought. If you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Now this is bigger for those of us that are Jesus followers. Because we're talking about character. We're talking about trustworthiness. And what God is saying, more important than money is, of course, the gospel. Money, you can't take money with you. You can take the gospel with you for for eternity. And he said, if you can't be trusted with something that's concrete, something you can see, something that's temporary, how can you be trusted with something of much more worth, uh, the gospel? So we need to prove ourselves trustworthy with our finances. And he goes on. (laughs) He's not finished. And if you are not faithful with other people's things. Now, okay, we're talking about our stuff, but then there's other people's stuff. And we all have interaction with other people and their stuff. And he said, if you can't be faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? This is an integrity question. This is big. This is really important. And then Jesus gets to the verse that probably most, if you've been in church for a while, you've heard this verse. And uh, it kind of draws it all into a conclusion. And he says this: "No one," which means no one means everybody, "no one can serve two masters." Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where do we get on this master deal? I don't have any masters. We don't have slaves or masters anymore. Hold on. He's going to explain. <laughs> no one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted one and despise the other. Well, Jesus, what is, why such extremes? Can't there be some kind of middle ground? Can't I just like or dislike? Jesus said, no, 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 no. It's all or nothing. It's either you love the one and hate the other and devote to the one, despise the other. Now, okay, we're thinking about God and the opposite. So my, if God's not my master, it must be the devil, right? Devil, if it's not good, it must be evil. Uh, something like that, right? And Jesus is the wisest teacher there was. And so he kind of surprises us with what he says. Here's what he says. You cannot serve, none of us, cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Wait a minute, wait a minute. God and money aren't opposites. You know, God and the devil are opposites. Good and evil are opposites. God and money aren't opposites. Now, this word money is not a good translation. All the modern translations use this word. And it's easy for us to understand If you've been around church long enough to remember the King James Version of the Bible, they use the word mammon. That's a good translation, but nobody knows what mammon is, do we? All right, so let me tell you what mammon is. Mammon is money and all the stuff that money can buy. The stuff you already have and the stuff money can buy. That is mammon. That's all that. That's all included in here. He says you can't serve God and your money and the stuff money buys and the stuff money can buy. Jesus said, the the biggest competitor for God's devotion, our hearts, is not sin, it's not evil, it's not temptation, it's not the devil. It's mammon, or money and stuff. And our response would be, I don't love my stuff. I don't love my money. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's back up and look at exactly what Jesus said. He said, You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Now, devoted means attached to. Now, let's be honest. We're all attached to our stuff, right? We're attached to it. We think about it. We spend time with it. We're attached to it. And that's, fact, that's our filter when we're buying stuff. <laughs> Is we buy stuff we're attached to. We don't buy stuff we're not attached to. So when he uses the word devoted, he means attached to. So I'm going to go through three questions. And they're not difficult questions either. And I think we all know the answers. So here's the first one. Has your desire for something, anything, ever caused you to do something? the answer for all of us is what? Yes, yes. I desired to go here, and I went there. I desired to buy this, I bought this. Uh, Whatever, okay? So the answer, uh, there is a logic to all this. Hang in there. (laughs) Yes. So next question. Has your desire for something ever caused you to do something stupid? Not that you're stupid, but do something stupid. Well, the answer for all of this is What? Yes, right? We have a, even have a term for it: impulse buying, right? Ah. And we think about, later. why did I do that? Why did I buy that? I didn't need that, or already have one, or the one I have is already fine. I, it was so stupid. We, just, we say that to ourselves, don't we? It's stupid. <clears throat> um, one more question. Has your desire for something ever caused you to do something you regret? And I won't ask you to answer. We have a term for that too. Buyer's remorse, right? Now when you buy things like houses and cars, you get three days, <laughs> right? Well, this is an official for three days. Uh, then the paperwork will go through and you can have a chance to undo what you did. And some things you can take it back to the store and get your money back and so forth. But has your desire for something ever caused you to do something you regret? And Jesus is saying desire for equals devotion to. And once you let desire dictate control, you're no longer the boss of you. Your desire becomes the boss of you. So that's why you do something that you regret or something that you think is stupid. And Jesus said, "You become a slave to your desires." Anybody want to sign up for slavery? Nobody does. But that's, what you, uh, that's what's happened. So let's kind of figure out how the process works here. How, how does this begin? Well, I think it begins with this word. Discontentment. If you're contented, you don't have desires, right? That you have to be devoted to, things you have to be devoted to. If you are content, but when you, once you become discontented, then it goes away. Uh, discontentment, a part of discontentment is awareness, isn't it? We all have experienced this. You've been walking through a store and you've seen something. Oh, I didn't know they, such a thing existed, that they made something that did this. My wife got a bunch of these things in the kitchen, these different machines that do different things. All right, uh, Guys, sometimes it's tools. Oh, I didn't know they made a tool for that. And some of them are cool. Now We've got all these power tools that did stuff we had to do by hand in the past but if you didn't know they existed, there would be no discontentment about it. You could be reading a magazine. You could be online. Uh, my wife just was on Craigslist and saw a baby grand piano for sale. Oh, it's all just in Frederick. And it only costs this much. And they really cost, you know, this much. And all of a sudden, she was discontented for a short period of time. And then we made the decision uh, that, that we would rather use that money on something else. I said, unless you're going to take piano lessons, because <laughs> she doesn't play the piano. <laughs> it's an expensive nut piece of furniture, you know. and not very comfortable at that. <clears throat> so, become, awareness drives our discontent. Another thing, another issue that, that causes us to become slaves to our desires is the word, this is the next word, uh, greed. Now, none of you are greedy. None of, none of us can see greed in the mirror, can we? Well, let me give you a definition of greed. It's the assumption that it's all for my consumption. I want to use it. I want it. It's for me. It's an appetite. And the problem with appetites are they're never fully satisfied. Now, we'll be finished here a little after 12, maybe 5 after 12. And everybody will probably go home and eat lunch. And no matter how much you eat for lunch, before the day is over, guess what? You're hungry again. Right? You get sleepy tonight, you'll sleep all night, maybe you sleep eight hours and maybe ten hours, you wake up in the morning. By tomorrow evening, guess what happens? You gotta sleep again. Appetites are never fully satisfied. Now the problem is in our culture, and it's it's happened during my lifetime, it never used to be this way, it wasn't true for my parents or grandparents. When we run out of money, do we have to stop buying? Uh, we don't do we so that brings the third concept in here and that's debt debt Now let's think about debt a little bit <clears throat> I want the desire is better than I owe think about that for a minute I want is better than, desi- than I owe there's a tension either way right yeah, I really want this, there's a tension, should I get it? There's a tension to wanting something. But then there's also a tension to owing. Now which is the better tension? It's better to want than to owe. Because once you owe, God says you're a slave. Yeah. Debted, you're a slave to the person you're debted to. Think about it this way. With debt is between, I mean, um, uh, want to is between you and God. Right? Okay, God, should I do this? You know, Or not? Should I spend this money on this? So, I want to is between you and God. Once you buy it, once you're in debt, you're no longer, it's no longer between you and God. In fact, once you've, become indebted is between you and the person you owe. And you know whose side God's on now? If you're a Jesus follower, anything you owe, you need to repay. And so God's on the person you owe side. That person says, hey, you owe me. And God says, yes, you owe him. You, switch, you, say, you say, no, God, you switch sides. And God said, no, I didn't switch sides. You switch sides. I don't set a lot of goals. and Maybe I should, more than I do. But one goal I have is not to go in debt. Uh, back in July, my wife got a new car. Not new, new. It's 19, 2012. Very nice car. Nicest car we've ever had. Uh, we didn't borrow money to buy that car. Uh, we don't owe money on that car. And a really interesting thing in our society is the more money you make, the more you can go in debt, right? It makes the problem even worse. So here it is about that. Don't trade your peace for something that can't bring you peace. And that stuff can't bring you peace. So we got discontentment, greed, and debt. Oh, yes, my contentment is making me so happy. Oh, my desire for more and more and more stuff, greed, consume it for myself. Oh, it just makes me so happy. And when the credit card bill comes, thank you, Jesus, I got a credit card debt. None of that stuff makes us happy. This is the logic, right? So here's the application. Real simple. Just stop. (laughs) Easier said than done. I understand. Just stop. No amount of money is going to eliminate discontentment. No amount of money is going to eliminate greed. In fact, the more you have, almost it encourages more. Now, you can get out of debt with money. But the more money you have, the more, again opportunity you have to go in debt. So the key is not more, it's to manage. Knowing and serve two masters, you can't serve both God and be enslaved to money. You want to sum up what Jesus said about money basically two two words generosity and wisdom. You know, use your worldly wealth to help other people. And be wise. And if you're not wise, ask somebody who's wiser than you for advice. And we teach a financial class. We have people that can help you with that stuff. But here we sum it up in three words. You want to be happy. Give, save, and live. And this is taught in in the financial peace class. So, when you get some money, get your paycheck, tell that money, you're not my master. And I'm going to prove you're not my master because I'm going to give the first part of it away. And we would say, hopefully give some of it to the church. And then, you're not my master. I'm not going to spend it all. I'm going to save some of it. And we taught our kids this. They had three envelopes. <laughs> God, save, and spend. All right? and they, when they were small, it was thirds. <laughs> well, just just think about it. Giving brings joy, doesn't it? Christmas time when you give gifts, it brings joy. We'll be doing... Uh, Giving the, uh, the, the boxes for the kids overseas. It brings joy to us to give and we see the joy when they receive it. In fact, to put on your outline, giving always results in joy. Unless somebody forces you to, doesn't it? Why aren't we more giving people? We automatically have more joy. Uh, secondly, saving. Simply put, money in the bank brings you peace. Doesn't it? We've been on a Budget for 25 years, and the biggest thing that brought peace to my wife and I's relationship, for one thing, but uh, peace about our finances. And then, of course, then you can live in freedom. You're not enslaved. So you can drive around, you can go online, whatever, and you can say, I could buy that, but I'm not. I'm free. I could do that, but I'm not because I'm free. So how do you make your your money make you happy? Give, save, and live. Money contributes to your happiness if you manage it well. Let's pick up a new topic about happiness next week. Hope you can join us. Let's pray and we'll have a song and let you go. Father God, thank you. We thank you for your wisdom about money. We thank you for what Jesus had to teach us and again, this all makes sense in our heads, but advertising industry is powerful and, and we do have those desires. And God, we don't want to be slaves. We want to be free. We thank you for this blueprint that help us do that. And we want to pray for anyone who's not a Jesus follower. If this all made sense. If you see the wisdom in Jesus' words and being a Jesus follower, we would invite you to uh, step across that line this morning. He is inviting you. He accepts you just as you are. Thank you, Jesus. You accept us all as we are. It's in your name we pray. Amen.